Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the Politics Show cast. I'm not going to do the intro. Why not? Well, that's that's it. We'll leave all that in, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, we've got two new, uh, two new panellists. Mm. Ollie Dugmore and Ed Campbell are away today. Ed is in Norwich. Norwich? Yes, he is. Ollie is recovering from a stonking debut on Politics Live yesterday. Yeah, it's fair to say that, isn't it? Yeah, it was very good. Yeah. So, uh, great job. Joined by Laura. Hello. Oh, what's your title? Producer Laura, I Pro- guess. Yeah, producer mm. Laura. Mm. Anything else we can give her? Producer. Have we given you Token Scott in the past? I think so. Yeah. I think that was when the you first were time. Ed. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Yeah, great. I'm feeling a little bit nervous to be on this side of the camera, <laughs> but excited. <laughs> but you've been on it before. You were here for the uh, for the extended four hour podcast. I have, but we had had two drinks before I came on there, so I felt a bit, mm. a bit better about it. <laughs> it was good reception then. Yeah, it was very nice. Important question: How were the fish? They're doing so well, and my flatmates love them. I have like two other flatmates, and we all take care of them. Really, they seem very happy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> love that. Person sure. Glove or Paul and Joe? We went with Paul and Joe in the end. It's a shame. <laughs> uh, how are you, Sean? I'm fantastic. Thank you. What? Um, what? What's your title? Clip Gremlin, I think it was. <laughs> it was that, wasn't it? Before, um, before you arrived. Yeah. Now I don't know what it is. Token Irish? Yeah. <laughs> Irish hunk. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Let's let the Reddit decide that. Okay. Yeah. Should we roll the clip? Roll it. He's been brutally exposed by his own MPs yet again. He's got one party chair who says she hopes the Lords will rip his Rwanda deal to pieces. He's got two more who had to quit because they don't think it'll work. All of them appointed by him 
all now in open revolt against his policy, each other, uh, and and reality. Is there any wonder they all think this gimmick is doomed to failure when the Prime Minister himself doesn't believe in it? Right. Sean, what's going on there? So Keir Starmer is going in on the Rwanda plan, predictably, um, asking Rishi Sunak where the guts of 4,000 people who were meant to be sent to Rwanda have gone. They've gone missing. Mm -hmm. Um, And Rishi Sunak didn't really answer. Mm Mm-hmm. So these are the people who were apparently earmarked to go to Rwanda. So they would have been just defined by the Home Office as um, fit for removal. They're not meant to legally be able to claim asylum. So they were going to be, well, allegedly put on planes. So Starmer was upset, this PMQs, that not one person has been put on a plane despite the government spending £400 million. So interesting, I've just seen that the president of Rwanda has said that he will give back all of the cash to the UK government if if no one um, is sent to Rwanda, which feels fair, does it? Yeah, I mean, I think the whole thing and kind of what Keir Starmer seemed to be getting at was just the disarray of the Home Office. They can't even find these people in the UK. How on earth are they going to try and execute this bonkers scheme? Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say, how are they going to try and execute them? I, I did too. I'm not, I actually went, oh my God. <laughs> went, okay, and that's Laura's first and last appearance on the podcast. Um, do you know that more than 400 unaccompanied children have gone missing from hotels as well? Mm-hmm. So children have been found, either they've been trafficked, some of them have even been found in the, the, the edges of Scotland. Mm. What was the, there was a couple of months ago this was raised in PMQs as well by an MP for a constituency that had a hotel that was housing migrants in it and 15 or 20 children were just picked up and brought elsewhere Mm. by people. And there was no real, again, no real response from Rishi Sunak or anybody in government to say what they were doing to solve that issue. I Mm. think, I think they've like, Rishi Sunak and the Conservatives in this whole Rwanda thing have so successfully managed to paint the image of the people that are coming across the channel as these single military-aged men um, that these sorts of issues tend to get quite lost in how they've painted it and that these are really vulnerable people. And also that military-aged men can also be legitimate victims of war and persecution. Mm. Mm -hmm. Unless they can be written up as um, men uh, pretending to be children, yeah. then they're not of interest to a lot of the papers, I suppose. Do you want to hear something interesting? So I've pulled up the newspaper front pages from 14th of April 2022, which is when Boris Johnson first announced this plan for uh, to send people off to Rwanda, which you'll remember um, was apparently supposed to be the nuclear button option. It wasn't ever meant to be government policy. It's the same day that he was facing more fines in the Partygate scandal. So now, look, I don't want to be a a skeptic here or suggest that perhaps governments put out other stories to hide unfavorable stories, but it does look like that way. So the Daily Mail front page, Rwanda plan to smash the channel gangs. Now, the Guardian's front page was Johnson may face three more fines in party scandal. For the Daily Mirror, it was the worst is to come for the prime minister. The rest of them, Express, Daily Telegraph and The Independent have all gone with the Rwanda plan. So it does look like... A little plan was 
pushed out to perhaps distract from the Sue Gray crisis that was unfolding in government at the time. You mean this wasn't serious government policy to tackle an actual issue? Mm. I don't think it was. Yeah. Mm. Very good point. Quite an interesting theory from you as well that newspapers are towing a political line in the reporting. Be interesting if that was true. I think you've put that. I think you've put words in my mouth there. I'm simply <laughs> saying that a better scoop was offered to newspapers than covering the Partygate scandal at the time. Mm. Did you also know that the Partygate scandal is one of the um, so um, a lot of the polling. Uh, extraordinaires I'm trying to think of his name what's the big guy who does all the polling John Curtis John Curtis that's it he reckons that five points was knocked off the conservatives for party gay that's quite serious cut through isn't it Mm. Mm -hmm. five points got knocked off of that he reckons another five points for immigration yeah it's quite extraordinary not another one it's the politics show cast Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, it is rich to hear from the Honourable Gentleman about belief in something because it will be news to him. It is actually the case that you can believe in something and stick to that position on this side of the house. I mean, I will say to this side, hello. Somebody's jumping in from over. Can I just say it's very important? It's an important day. People want to know what's going on. So I want my constituents, just like yours, to hear what the Prime Minister's got to say. Prime Minister. Just this week, Mr Speaker, we had another example of the Honourable Gentleman doing one thing, saying another. Because this this week he backed the Home Secretary in banning the terrorist group Hizbut Tahrir. Despite him personally using the European Court of Human Rights to try and stop them being banned. And don't take my word for it, Mr. Speaker. The extremist's own press release said, and I quote, the Hizbut Tahrir legal team led by Keir Starmer. Now, I know, I know he doesn't like talking about them because they've been a client, but when I see a group chanting jihad on our streets, I ban them. He invoices them. Laura, what's going on there? So this is the news that Keir Starmer has backed the Home Secretary in banning his book Trier, but as we heard in that clip, um, Rishi Sunak is going after Keir Starmer on the basis that Keir Starmer represented uh, his book Trier in its appeal to the European Court of Human Rights over their ban in Germany in 2008, which they subsequently lost. And I'm just wondering, do you guys think that line of attack has any cut through because I saw the Sun used it as well they went after people he had represented but to me it feels like how kind of lowly do they think of the British public British public because we know that lawyers don't always believe in the causes that they have to represent like everyone has a right to legal defense like that's his job like does that line have cut through Mm. I think it is a attack line whether it's the best attack line is a different question. But I do think by showing the public what he has taken up in the past, that's going to have some cut through. Like for me, the his butterier line was, although it wasn't a direct response to any question that Kirst or semi responds, it's still a good way to deflect if you're the prime minister being quizzed on X, Y, or Z to have in your back pocket. Well, he's saying this now, but in the past he's done this. You know. mm. But then that would also suggest that there's no potential for reform, for for I don't know, a change of a change of mind, a change of opinion. Not that I think he has. I think mm. if you're a human rights lawyer, that's a case that, that I don't know. One thing I okay, all right, a controversial opinion on the Sun's 
um, death penalty expose that was done mm. on Keir Starmer a couple, was it last week? Yeah. So there was a series of cases that were brought to the public's attention and it was Keir Starmer took on um, these cases. He tried to defend these people against getting the death penalty while he was a lawyer. Now, a lot of the defense for Keir Starmer from the public came from the opinion of, oh God, it's just that, it's just the sun mm. talking rubbish again. Like, is this the best you've got? Da, da, da. I don't think that's the right defense. Mm. I think you should look at those cases and you, the public could, can make an, make an assessment, which is, I quite like that the potential new prime minister of the UK is against the death penalty. Is against the death yeah. penalty because we don't support the death penalty in this country. We don't have the death penalty. I mean, I know if Pretty Patel had her way, we would have it. Lee Anderson mm. or Lee Anderson, <laughs> yes, but we we don't. So it feels natural that a lawyer would argue against people being sent to them. And also, like you know, how many how many times have people been put on death row and then have been found to have not been guilty? Mm -hmm. You know, and if you look at the states all around the US, I mean, typically, I, th I think all of the data suggests that states with the death penalty, the murder rate is higher than in states without the death penalty. So it's not actually working as a, an active deterrent, unless maybe in those states that do have it, the murder rate would just be, mm. it'd be like the purge. But that's the thing, though, isn't it? If you're associating Keir Starmer in that scenario being anti-death penalty, then the opposite is also true for any any other case that he defends somebody for doing X crime, mm. he will then be associated with being against their yeah. prosecution. Sorry, I, I guess that was kind of the point I was making that I don't think because he defended his Tria in a legal case that he, his opinion is that they were good guys. Like mm. that's just the job of a lawyer. But also that there's the, so there's the cab rank system, right? As well, isn't there? I don't know if it applied to this one. I do, I do remember reading that the death penalty cases didn't apply under the cab rank system, which is that, you know, you know, if you turn up and a taxi comes along, yeah. a taxi has to serve yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he actually, he elected to defend mm -hmm. those people against the death mm -hmm. penalty. Um, so that's a choice. And I think that it would be quite good for him to come out and say, yes, I chose to say, I don't like the death penalty mm -hmm. or I don't think that these people should, mm -hmm. should receive it mm -hmm. because the alternative as well is spending your entire life in prison. I mean, it's not exactly nice. Well, it depends what prison you're in, I suppose. Yeah. In Norway, I wouldn't mind. Yeah, exactly. I was just thinking <laughs> if you're in Scandinavia, it's sweet. Would you rather be in a Norwegian prison or a one bed and stratum? <laughs> I'd probably pick the prison. Yeah? yeah. Where would you go? The prison as well. <laughs> <laughs> One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's the Politics Show cast. Of course, Mr. Speaker, when it comes to the, Re- the Rwanda bill, the reality is that if you want to stop the smuggler gangs, you should introduce safe and legal routes. But instead, the Prime Minister is seeking to weaponise some of the most vulnerable people in society. It is straight out of the cruel and callous right-wing extremist playgroup. His time in office is fast approaching its conclusion. Does he seriously want this to be his legacy? Well, Mr Speaker, as I said, it is important that we stop the boats because illegal migration is simply not fair, Mr Speaker. It's not right that some people jump the queue, that they take away our resources to help those who are the most compassionate, that need our most help, and, by the way, Mr Speaker, are exploited by gangs, and many of them lose their lives making these dangerous crossings. So I completely disagree with the Honourable Gentleman. The fair and the compassionate thing to do is to break these criminal gangs, and that's why we're going to stop the boats. All right, so that's Stephen Flynn there. He's talking about the Rwanda bill again, and he's come at it from a different approach to Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer's on the... um, where are all the uh, asylum seekers? Where have they gone? Why aren't you meeting the targets that you're setting for yourself? Flynn is going on the morality issue, which is, should you be sending uh, asylum seekers? Mm. Um, should you be your first port of call to be to deport them rather mm. than to provide safe and legal routes for them mm-hmm. in the first place? Which, funny enough, is the point that our Ollie Dugmore was making yesterday. Mm-hmm. And you a week ago. Yeah, but, you know, I didn't make it quite as eloquently as Ollie Dugmore. Yeah, well, he copied you and just refined it, I think. Well, but, you know, what's he important... Did say that to me. I think none of the political solutions we just heard have any basis in practicality or compassion. There's a lot of emotive appeals to what about these people who are dying in the channel? If we cared that much about the people that were dying in the channel, we put a processing centre in France. No-one wants to do that. It was offered by the French. We declined the opportunity to do so. Why do we decline the opportunity to do so? Because it would make it easier and safer for these people to cross the channel. It serves a political purpose to demonise them, to have the, the adjectives being used here, right, tough strong, um, as if these people are some kind of a threat to us. They are some of the most vulnerable people in our society. They are prepared to risk life and limb to try and get to this country. And frankly, the idea that they're some kind of threat to us that needs to be sent back to France or that we need to deter coming here is morally offensive. They're dying in the English Channel, man. That's because there are no safe routes. Others just made the point. There was quite a good comment on it, which said um, the blonde one said this, but with a lot more slap on her face. And I thought... (laughs) I thought that is that's true, <laughs> but I don't do my makeup when I do well, this. I mean, there's quite a lot of makeup on Ollie to make sure he's not translucent, even when we're doing, <laughs> even when we're doing this. So yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, it may not have been a factual comment, but yeah. So fun fact: Shawnee, who is the studio manager, actually pats him down with quite a large bronzing uh, mm. puff before a. Yeah, is that what you call them? Those things. The you knew what I meant. Yeah. I use it frequently. <laughs> Do you think Stephen Flynn came off well during that clip? I mean, he always does, doesn't he? Because particularly with these things, like Keir Starmer has so many questions to nail on a point. But in, in taking seven or eight questions, 
to make a point, the point is lost. Whereas Stephen Flynn only has two questions. He has to be far more concise. And I think a lot of the time he does come off a lot better than Keir Starmer. Um, especially with this, you know, like um, a lot of Sunak's response today was that, well, Keir Starmer isn't backing any of the plans that we have to deal with migration. Um, and then it just kind of becomes repetitive where Keir Starmer will come back with another question when the question has just been slapped down. Mm. Where Stephen Flynn will come in 30 seconds, get to the point, and it, it, it cuts through far better, for me anyway. You notice as well, he didn't um, even engage in, so when he asked his first question on Rwanda, mm. Rishi Sunak came back with an answer in which he was talking about high taxes in Scotland and Flynn didn't even engage yeah. at all yeah. with, with what Sunak had given to him. He just mm. went straight back to Rwanda. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that's part of the two real, question? I think it was real BDE, actually. Did, do you really? Yeah. Yeah? yeah? He kind of just scoffed at it and continued on. That, there was a little bit of... There was a little bit of heckling mm. from the Tory benches when he didn't engage in it. But, I mean, that only lasts two seconds. Well, the tax thing is interesting because... Um, so Sunak likes to push this line on Scotland that Scot uh, some people in Scotland are paying a higher... Um, a higher tax rate than people in England. And he, lo he loves going for that line because mm. um, I suppose, well, it's it's the obvious moral standpoint between him and Stephen Flynn. But um, in England, so inflation has crept up again today and the ONS are pointing towards two things that have helped contribute to that, that rise in inflation. And both of them are tax increases introduced by Jeremy Hunt. So one of them is on tobacco and the other one is on alcohol. So tax on spirits went up from 3.5% uh, to 8.9%. I mean, that's absolutely extraordinary. A 5% tax rise mm -hmm. on spirits. And the alcohol industry today is up in arms because they're, they're upset about it. It's hurting their business. But it's just interesting to hear the Prime Minister talk about tax rises in Scotland and to try and chastise him for that. Mm -hmm. And then you look at England yeah. and what? We've got the highest tax burden since, is it the 70s? Yeah. 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 And then you've got secondary taxes. So we're paying a hell of a lot more for tobacco and drink. It's just not looking good. Mm. How does the system in, uh, this, in Scotland work where you can't buy alcohol after 10 o'clock? Yeah, it's to do with like, um, I guess it's kind of all part of like the minimum unit pricing as well. Like it's just to dis discourage people from drinking as much. Um, but I guess the difference is like when Sunak comes for Flynn on the tax ground is that Scottish people have kind of consistently voted for a party that they know is going to tax them, whereas the Conservatives whole thing is, oh, we're not going to tax you mm. as much, but which makes it kind of a bad line of attack, I guess. No, that's a really mm. good point. Mm -hmm. mm. That's such a good point. But especially the um, like alcohol duty and tobacco duty. Could you imagine if Stephen Flynn came back after the the quip about taxes in Scotland and he's like well actually you haven't got a leg to stand on here because your alcohol and your tobacco has gone nothing but up <laughs> Prime Minister like that's not sexy we are smoking <laughs> and drinking it cheaper yeah. <laughs> in Scotland but only during a limited time period mm. Mm. Only up until 10 o'clock. Or before 10 o'clock. Yeah. That's mad. So do you sometimes go to the shop and you just can't? Yeah, they actually have like, um, like, like those it's like crime things. scene tape, like no. <laughs> across the aisles. Yeah, uni, like our um, Tesco, it was all just like X'd out with the, mm -hmm. with the tape. Same in Ireland. 
after 10 o'clock you can't get alcohol you can get tobacco though but you can't get alcohol so they have like these railings that they just extend out does that not feel nanny state to you grew up with it i think this is the one thing i go really iea on <laughs> like <laughs> some like really like mysterious backer could pay me <laughs> to say and i wouldn't even tell you who paid me to do it mm. and i would happily stand on any platform and say it's nanny state to not be allowed to buy a drink after 10 o'clock well the, the workaround for is dial a drink a thing here no no what delivery so, what do you mean it's there will be a guy in your neighborhood that everyone has the phone number of that will have a stock of alcohol in his house and if you're going to an afters or something you ring him up and say i need a bottle of vodka a 24 pack of something and to your door he'll come with the goods and you pay him there and then do you know about that i do not know about this that's oh. not a thing your way People of Scotland, <laughs> there's a big industry in dial a drink. You should all get on it. I feel bad now. I feel bad for saying that the IEA could pay me to say that. I guess if there's a real problem with alcoholism. But then does, has it shown to, to, to reduce or have any impact on alcoholism in Scotland to, to cut it off at 10 o'clock? Actually, I have no idea. It'd be interesting. Because you just buy it before 10, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What happens if it's like 9.58 and you're already at the till, but then like Sandy in front is getting a lottery ticket. And so like you, it's taking a long time. What happens if you're standing behind with alcohol? Do the till just like cut off or do they honour it? If oh, you're surely in the they queue? let you through, isn't it? I mean, I guess it just depends how sound the cashier is mm. up to their discretion. Because when I worked at Waitrose on a Sunday... The trading standards were so strict that you couldn't you couldn't actually work the till before eleven a.m. I mean, that was something mm. I was surprised about coming to England. Like the trading stuff on a Sunday, like not have that. In you don't have that. No, mm -hmm. I was so, I was like, why is everything closed? Are you joking? <laughs> no, yeah, we don't have it either. <laughs> That's blown my mind. What stuff is just open all day on a yeah. Sunday? Mm -hmm. Well, you've really strained. <laughs> you you've strayed far from Jesus, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> what about you, lot? Are you? Uh, yeah, same. We're all open on Sundays. You're open on a Sunday? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Catholic theocracy of Ireland. You're joking. Yeah, everything's open on Sunday. That's actually, that's not true. I don't believe it. Are you serious? Yeah, I, li I lived there for a very no, no, long time. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I'm more surprised. I'm not shouting at you. Um, wait, so you can, what about like normal shops? What about like the, the like, I don't know, clothes shops? They're open. Yeah. That's mental. Yeah, everything's open. What about the little butcher? Is the he one, open? The one that got me most was grocery stores not being open. Mm -hmm. Or open for a very short amount of time. Yeah, you've got to do that fight, haven't you? Yeah. You know, when, when I was younger, they I, I remember it, all the shops being open 10 till 4, and they've changed that now. It's like most of them are like 11 till 5, aren't they? Or 12 till 6. Mm. I remember I used to work in a pub in Fulham Broadway, and it used to be a nightmare if we ran out of like lemons or limes and things because we used to always Sorry, just go to Sorry, it used Sainsbury's. to be a nightmare when you ran out of lemons. You'd have a lemon yeah. emergency. Well, yeah, you just, I mean, the nightmare <laughs> being that you couldn't go to Sainsbury's because it was closed. So you had to go to the corner shop that was a further walk mm. to get lemons and limes. Did you get a better lemon at the corner shop, though? Um, it was a while ago. I can't really remember. Was it quality. Turkish? No, it wasn't. Oh, then you wouldn't know. No. Yeah. They've got good lemons, though. Have they? Always. Mm. Always. You know, my Turkish guy who I used to live around the corner uh, from during lockdown, he never ran out of toilet roll or pasta. Well, I don't know where the hell he was getting it from. He knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah, he'd been stockpiling for years. <laughs> yeah. 
He used to um, stock up his shop as well from a Range Rover. <laughs> I don't... There's something That's going on. That's a legitimate on. business. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care. <laughs> he had the big packs of toilet roll as well. It was like, you know, like the 20 pack. Sorry, we got Sick. really off the... Really got off the thing here. Shut the fridge. It's the politics show. Cast. Until the UK government calls for an immediate ceasefire, it is complicit in the horrors yeah, in Gaza. Yeah, yeah. Not my words, yeah, but yeah. those of the head of Oxfam, Absolutely. who, like every single agency trying to operate on the ground, is clear that aid can't be effectively delivered while fighting continues. More UK aid is, of course, welcome, but even when it does get through, it can result in what one Palestinian aid worker calls bombing us on full stomachs. Yep. 24,000 people have already been killed. So can he tell us what will it take for him to back a permanent bilateral ceasefire? Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, of course we want to see a peaceful resolution to this conflict as soon as possible. A sustainable permanent ceasefire with an end to the destruction, fighting and loss of life, release of hostages and no resumption of hostilities would of course be the best way forward. But in order to achieve that, a number of things need to happen. Hamas would have to agree to release the, all the hostages. Hamas would no longer have to be in charge of Gaza, and the threat of more rocket attacks from Hamas into Israel would have to end. And the Palestinian Authority, boosted with assistance, would need to return to Gaza in order to provide governance and aid. That is the sustainable ceasefire that we will work very hard to bring about. So this was Caroline Lucas uh, calling on Rishi Sunak for an immediate ceasefire and quoting the head of Oxfam to do so um, for a permanent bilateral ceasefire, which Rishi Sunak did seem to kind of kind of agree with, but with mm. a few more caveats. Mm. Do you think that what would be the best way forward is what he said, isn't it? Mm -hmm. There's that really odd picture, isn't there, from yesterday from during Cabinet where David Cameron is leaning over the table mm -hmm. at Sunak and they're both sort of like meeting in the middle of the table. And you wonder, we talked about this before, but Cameron was, Cameron once referred to Gaza as an open air prison. Mm -hmm. Do you wonder if there has been any conversations behind closed doors about policy? Maybe, do you think Cameron might be more leaning towards a ceasefire maybe than Rishi Sunak is? I think it's, it just feels like common sense at this point that you can't bomb your way to peace. Like that's just mm. not, mm. it's not a feasible position to hold at this point in the conflict anymore. Um, and what Rishi Sunak actually said uh, about bringing back the Palestinian authorities and kind of all the caveats he did bring in, I thought actually he was actually speaking quite a lot of sense because mm like a ceasefire, just calling for a ceasefire, um, it, it wouldn't, or just uh, kind of putting in place a ceasefire wouldn't end the conflict. Like mm -hmm. it's a very cyclical conflict. And it actually reminded me of a book that I read at university, which is called Politics in Deeply Divided Societies by Adrian Gilk. And it's all about how you break the kind of cycles of violence and retribution by putting in place um, really robust uh, democratic institutions that go beyond just holding free elections. Um, it's really good. Definitely recommend it. Um, but that, that is kind of what it made me think of, is how do you build peace and build institutions in and kind of break the cycle of never-ending um, violence. And also specifically, he talks about how fear of violence shapes perceptions in these countries, even during peacetimes, and mm. how that's really harmful and how you can kind of break that cycle. Mm. Mm. 
I thought it was quite interesting how it seemed <clears throat> his answer seemed to be the most mature and considered response he's had mm-hmm. since everything has happened. Um, I would wonder whether it signals some sort of change in the way the US is looking at it. Because often when it comes to Israel-Palestine, a lot of UK policy on the matter comes from Washington. So I think maybe is it, is it through the looking glass with Rishi Sunak's response to kind of think, okay, even the US are see- seeing this as they've gone too far or the time is running out for there to be any reasonable um, reasonable objective in Gaza for the IDF. So we need to start teasing out this idea that we are open to a ceasefire and having, whether it's having Mahmoud Abbas or um, Hamas at the table, I highly doubt Hamas are going to be at the table, but like actually putting it into people's minds that there will be a representative of the Palestinians there. Because I mean, the, one, the, the last conflict, what, two years ago, a year and a half ago, um, the last far less time than this one, was just a ceasefire and no no dialogue afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, I thought it was a, an interesting and considered response. What about Bernie Sanders? What was he up to? Yeah, so he was bringing forward an amendment um, to basically have the US State Department um, look into whether or not um, US military aid brackets weapons that are being sent to Israel to fight in Gaza are being used um, in accordance with international law. To the untrained eye, the answer to that would be no. Um, But basically, this was something that would have made the US responsible for anything that was going on since... If if the bill was to go through, it would make the US culpable in anything that happened in in Gaza. Um, And then, so it was voted down, essentially. That would have a knock-on effect to many conflicts, though, wouldn't it? Because what you've got, the Saudis, a lot of their bombs come from the US and the Mm. UK. I don't know if it was for all conflicts or just that. Um, It seemed like it was just for what's going on in Gaza, because he did reference at one point of several other conflicts going on in the world, but this one being a particularly violent um, conflict that the US is complicit in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it was voted down. So there's going to be no culpability for the US State, De- State Department on that. I've seen a lot of people online have um, discovered that they've got arms factories local to them, which they didn't know about. Mm. Brighton, I'm particularly upset because there's one very close. I didn't know that. I went to Sussex for years. I know that that is something that I would have thought Sussex would have known about. <laughs> yeah, that's um, interesting because we did Ollie. Well, Ollie did an unfiltered episode with Caroline Lucas where he explicitly asked her if she thinks that taking part in direct action against these arms factories is a legitimate form of protest and something to do. Um, and and she said yes. She said she wouldn't wouldn't condemn it. Um, so that's in Brighton, her mm. constituency. Yeah, she's the yeah, she's the MP for what Brighton Pavilion. Mm-hmm. Stepping down, isn't she? Mm-hmm. She is. As Eddie Asar didn't make that. Um, didn't make the long list or the short list. Mm-hmm. Long list. Or didn't they? Didn't no. know she. She. Yeah, 
She did not. Was it because they said they weren't going to move to the... Oh, no, they, they weren't already living in the constituency, right? Oh, was that what it was? I think that was part of it. Part of it was that they were promising to move there, but they aren't already from there. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.